The music starts, your opponent staring at you from the other side of the stage. The crowd is buzzing. All of your community is here, cheering you on. You start to move, dancing and lifting your entire body on your arms, your knees, or even your head. You spin, you knee drop, you rock your footwork and power moves, and you hit the freeze on the beat. One last stare at your opponent, arms across the chest, and they jump in. It's their turn to battle. That's breaking, a style of dance that requires power, flexibility, control, endurance, and musicality, with dancers training just like athletes would. It started gaining popularity in the early 1970s on the streets of New York City, and has now become a worldwide community and culture. In fact, it will be making its Olympic debut in Paris in 2024. But that's the thing. Although it's set to be showcased on the biggest sporting stage of all, breaking is not just about the competitions. It's still about that moment you enter the stage and get into the flow, performing in front of your community. It's a way of life, or even breaking can change lives. Hi, I'm Nick Bright and you're listening to Beyond the Ordinary from Red Bull. In this episode, we'll hear from Roxwright, Lil Zoo and Nagin, three b-boys from three completely different parts of the world who have all had their lives changed by breaking. And I really saw this new path and, or just this new thing that I could pick up and it, it really disconnected me from all this other stuff going on in my environment. Finding this lane and this culture that is, I consider it basically adopted me and gave me a voice and an identity in, in society, you know? It's crazy, like, the knowledge and the community and the love and, you know, like, you know how many people like breaking help them to go out from drugs or to go out from, like, gangster life? I think the future's gonna be amazing, you know? Like, so... I'm very optimistic with, with that because this art form is the most amazing art form on the planet. Let's start on the west coast of America, a small town in wine country, California. All right. Well, my name is Roxwright. Uh, I've been breaking for 25 years. Where I grew up is uh, it's a, in a little town north of San Francisco. It's in a county called Sonoma County. It's like the wine country. So there you had a lot of immigrant families moving there in the 90s and 80s because of the vineyards. Even though it's a small town, you still have a lot of immigrant kids, like I told you. And with that came like all the local kids that were Chicanos. We call them Chicanos, which are kids that are born in 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 the U.S. by Mexican immigrant parents or generations of them, so they're called Chicanos, and then you got your, you know, you pull out Mexicans from Mexico. I wasn't Mexican enough for the Mexicans no more because I had already lost a lot of my roots and my connections to the traditions of a lot of the Mexican families. And then I wasn't connected enough to the people born in America because the way they dressed, they they weren't the things that I wasn't into. I wasn't I didn't have the money or things to keep up with certain things. You know, I was just a young kid that didn't have that connection with the American culture. So then I'm stuck in this like middle ground where you're trying to like find yourself and you have sports and then you got these kids that are like your friends and they're getting into stuff. So it's either you jump into the sports, 
if you can afford to do that or your parents can help you get into that or you just automatically run with the kids that are in your neighborhood. I wanted to do something else that was more, that I like more challenging and breaking was that one thing. And the kids that did it, like I told you, the ones, the kids that I saw, they, I hadn't heard about them. They had names, they had built like little reps in our community. They were like, like the ghetto celebrity, as we say in hip hop, like them, that, that aura of like, who's, you know, you hear a name and then you see them in person. You're like, oh, that's that kid that they were talking about. And then you see him break, you're like, oh, it's like it blows your mind. And that's 94 and going to 95 when it really like, changed for me i really saw this new path and or just this new thing that i could pick up and it, it really disconnected me from all this other stuff going on in my environment and mm-hmm. i ended up finding this lane and this culture that is i consider it basically adopted me and gave me a voice and an identity in, in society you know and yeah i think that's why i got really involved with it so at that time i would say yeah breaking for me was totally new i was in falling in love with it I was uh, inspired through that year by movies like Beat Street and Breaking, which were the movies that were dropped in the 80s and took Breaking to the, to the masses. From there on, I, I started understanding the dance a little further and deeper into the art of it and trying to be more creative uh, and innovative with the foundation of it. Lil Zoo was in a pretty similar spot in the late 2000s in Casablanca, Morocco. I come from a quite like a very poor family from a very, very poor place where even breaking is not known. Like now it's different, but uh, I started in 2008. In 2008, not everybody can dance, you know. Uh, nobody accepted. Luckily, my mother was uh, supporting, you know. Normally, you you find problems with your family. But I had a very open-minded mother. So for me, I didn't have this problem. From the poor, everybody, like, um, everybody in my place is poor, you know. What was the alternative for someone like Lil Zoo if he hadn't discovered that love of breaking? Thing is, uh, everybody like, okay, you go to school. In Morocco, it's like this. It's you and your luck. You maybe go to school and you got good grade and uh, you become something. You ne- you maybe go to school, got good grade, you become nothing. You know, it's just, it's, it's just you and your luck. It's just you and your luck. For me, like I, as I say, in the moment I started breaking and I start, I start making money a little bit of breaking. This is already in Morocco. I was making money in break, of breaking. So that moment, I say, you know what? I cannot see myself doing this uh, like a normal, normal life or going even school. I was, I was, I was like honest to myself. I'm, I don't think I'm a smart guy in school. So. Even like, uh, as I say, my mother supported me in this one too. Like, I remember one time I, I tried to go to school, you know, I awake at 8, 8 a.m. And then my mother, she said like, why? Why you wake at, why? Be- better you got enough sleep so you can train more after. Because she did, you know. So it was like, I, I think I was just honest to myself. I never see myself in that, like a normal job or, or this, you know. It's risky. You can make it or you cannot make it, but uh, it's worth a try. Either you make it, either you make it or you enjoy the way. And what about Nagin, who started dancing aged 14 on the streets of Parana, Brazil? It's in the south of Brazil. And, you know, of course, I was introduced to capoeira at the age of three years old. My sister brought me to a capoeira academy. And that's why capoeira has been my education since then, because, you know, I never quit. <laughs> I got introduced into breaking. You know, like basically I started training by myself, just like 
getting as much information as I could about hip hop culture. And um, that's how I got into it. And then immediately I start to blend into two different cultures and making my path through this art form, you know. So blending capoeira and breaking, combining, and having my own signature movements, you know. So you start breaking. You enjoy it. It's keeping you out of trouble. Where do you go from there? What was the scene like for Rocks Riot in the late 90s? I built my name through that, and then eventually it led to my first events in 98, 99. And I uh, won my first tournaments in 98. They were in the Valley of California, mm. North, like Modesto, Modesto, Sacramento, and where I grew up. I started winning some of the contests there. 99 led me to an event in, in San Jose, California, where I got to actually see a lot of the people that I had grown up watching and was inspired by. But this is the first time I got to battle them. So at this event in 99, I, I battled my battled uh, my way to a plane ticket to the biggest one-on-one tournament of that time period, which was in Miami. Uh, that was my way into the scene, kind of. Uh-huh. Uh, and that night, I didn't win the tournament, but the promoter ended up giving me a plane ticket to that event anyways, because he saw that I battled everybody. And I made the finals and I almost won the whole thing with the tiebreaker. So that got me into, into building a bit of name for myself in the, in the late 90s. I went to Miami and that event just changed my life. When did things really start to change for Rocks Right? 2000, 2001, 2002, I would say. Those were years for me where I, I kept building a name. I started coming out on tapes. I would make certain battles, make like the finals, the semifinals. And these tapes started circulating through, through stores in, in the US, actually called Mr. Rags. They got like a distribution deal. And that was like your street fame. That's how we got recognized. Or people would wonder who that kid was on that video. And, you know, maybe they see your name. But that was, um, yeah, that was a really special time period in breaking when when I started building my name at that point. I would say 2000, I ended up joining Renegades, which was a more established crew in my community where I'm from. And uh, they've been breaking or they had been around since 83. So that crew is a, a legendary name. Renegades is one of the crews that I mentioned. They were like the San Francisco 49ers of the, of the San Francisco area. So it was like, if you join them, it's like you, you're reaching a pro level, street level status where like, who's the next guy they're bringing on, you know? Lil Zhu knew he had potential when he first saw footage of himself performing nearly two years after breaking for the very first time. The first year I was really progressing very fast and uh, even that I didn't care a lot like second year too the same thing and then I first time see myself in a video in 2010 so after I danced for two years it was first because you know we don't have like laptops and computers and this stuff and in that time it was first time I see myself and I remember when I see myself I was like shit I'm, I'm not that bad huh? I can be something I think <laughs> And so this was the first time I was like, okay, I think, I think I cannot just be good in Morocco. And then I just dedicate myself. I trained it like in the first four years of my of my life. I trained like almost thirteen hours a day. I was not like I was going to school, but not going to school, you know. And you know how you can see this? Like I just can see me and my best friends back in the days, you know? I see where I am now and where are they. And the only difference we did in our life is I choose the breaking way and they choose different way, you know? 
So it's it's the it's the most beautiful thing is community. Like winning and this stuff is beautiful, but doesn't like okay how how long you can win, and how long you can lose, you know. But the community is forever. Breaking is nothing without its community, and as an art form, it has a duty to reflect its roots. Rocks Riot has been able to use breaking to tell some powerful stories. In 2007, I ended up doing the Road Obviously one in, in South Africa, and there was a documentary that they were making during this, this event. And I ended up becoming one of the featured dancers in the documentary. It's called Turn It Loose. I think it was released in the UK, I believe, that one. So, um, so it wasn't just like about the entertainment. It was more about our stories of how they intertwine between being immigrants and struggling in foreign countries and living in countries where you're born in, but you still struggle like an immigrant. So it kind of told the story of life and people's struggles as people of color in, in, in this dance world and in the social platform, right? So it was kind of deep and it was very, it became really like the key piece to, to 2008, 9, 10, uh, because... In 2008, I gave up my, my actual work, and on my 26th birthday, I quit my, my work that I was doing. So when it comes to breaking, you know, you do have a lot of, a lot of Latinos and, and also Filipinos, Asian people, and, and the you know, Asian b-boys also left a huge, huge mark in the 90s, you know. So at some point, I mean, for me, I don't know, because when I got into it, like I told you, I had seen, like, Hispanic kids breaking. There were Mexican kids just like me. But also, like, yeah, the Hispanics and, and Asian community have played a big role in, in pushing this dance as well, you know, and elevating it to where it is today and where, where it's gotten to, you know. So, of course, they birthed it and, and Latinos helped in New York also help, like, push it forward forward as well and, and really keep it moving. And, I mean, throughout time, you've had Black people throughout all the generations, though, you know. they've all We've all been involved, like, this melting pot of cultures, like, dancing together. But, yeah, I think that, you know, you, you can't really... Obviously, outside of its birth and, and, and as generations progressed, you can't take away the kind of like the marks and, and points that, that some of these other ethnic groups left in the dance, you know. So, of course, yeah, it's black. It's a black created dance. But you can't as time progressed, the people there was also like Hispanics and like I told you, Filipinos, uh, Japanese, you know, B- French B-boys that really like left their marks in the dance as well. So it just, it, it, yeah, it, breaking has been this big, big melting pot after its root source and, and it spread worldwide. Nagin has worked as a b-boy teacher in Sao Paulo. Is giving back to the community something that's important to him? Well, the most amazing, important thing that you can do to yourself is share what you got, share the knowledge that you have and, you know, inspire other people. So for me, it doesn't matter if I'm teaching one person or a million person, you know, a million people. So for me, it's like, it's what can I share that's going to make an impact in someone's life? You know what I mean? So, you know, I always find myself like teaching workshops and, you know, learning, taking workshops as well, because at the end of the day, each one teach one. So, and with that concept, you just, you know, keep inspiring so many other people, you know what I mean? So what happens next for breaking? For a culture so rooted in its community, what does being at the 2024 Olympics mean to dancers like Roxwright? I feel like it's an opportunity for us to really uh, elevate our community uh, and really put us on a new level. And, and I mean, I've seen so much talent come and go throughout, throughout the years I've been dancing and a lot of them stop because they just don't see anything else they could do with it. 
you know. So now that there is an Olympic opportunity for somebody, you might have more people willing to commit to this dance more, and you might want you might have more funding from from government sources to to push the dance further and elevate the craft even to a higher level. But yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a good opportunity. This is a beautiful thing. I don't, like a lot of people is, is uh, scared that it takes something from me, from the community and from the, you know, and it's true, it can do this, but in the end of the day, the, 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 the thing that can put the, the beauty of breaking away is us, because we are the people who dance in the end, you know? And for me, I believe in uh, evolution, which means like now it's a new thing, like breaking in the Olympic, a lot of people scared, a lot of people hating on it. But if you believe in evolution, it's good. Anything that adds something for us is beautiful. And as I see it, in the end of the day, it's just another competition. Like you win, you win, you win the world champ today, and the moment you win it, you are like, okay, I win it. What? I battle 16 people. I do this every battle I go. So in the end of the day, even it's just a, another battle. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Beyond the Ordinary. If you have, then do leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you're new to the show, then do check out Series 1, which is packed with amazing stories from people who push themselves beyond the ordinary. And you can find more breaking stories on redbull.com forward slash breaking.